Welcome to Gold with Jeanette Schneider, nuggets of inspiration for a bigger, badder life. Each week we share wisdom, insights, and gold from those living their very best lives. After 23 years in finance and a fancy SVP title, I retired at the age of 41 to advocate for women and girls in life, love, and the boardroom. Now the CEO of my own media company, my goal is to change the world for my daughter and her friends. My first book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, dropped this fall and is based on what women wish they would have known when they were girls. This is purposeful content, big conversations, and a safe place for us to share our gold and our dreams for the future. We record every week from the sound studio at The Space LV. Today I am joined by Dan Mason. Dan is a nationally recognized career and life transition coach and the host of the Apple number one debut podcast, Life Amplified. His work has been featured at the Huffington Post, The Good Men Project, and the nationally syndicated Elvis Duran Morning Show. Dan has helped clients in 13 countries discover their calling, leave their soul-crushing corporate jobs, and create careers that are meaningful to their bank accounts and the world at large. Dan and I dig into what he calls the fresh hell of a Monday morning in a soul-sucking career, and why it is important to know who you truly are and what desires are just outside of your 9 to 5. We talk identity, titles, the reassessment of comfort zones, and the death of the old school American dream. I love this conversation because Dan has successfully moved his clients from muted dreams into actionable next steps after he himself left a big deal job in radio to create his own life of service. Let's dig in. So I have with me today, Dan Mason. Thank you so much for joining me on Gold. I truly appreciate you uh, being on the, the phone with me today. Oh, Jeanette, I'm so excited. It's an honor to be here, and uh, I can't wait to dive in. This yeah. is great. Yay, I love it. So one of the things I love about Dan, I follow him on Instagram, and he is so motivational, especially when he gets to talking about purpose and life in transition. And I love that I see the word soul-sucking career on your Instagram pretty often. And I think so many people can relate to being in, in a career and on a trajectory that no longer matches where they are in life or where they want to be in life. So I was hoping that we could dive into that a bit and help us understand what it looks like to, to be in a life in transition and the fear that comes with, with moving careers and how it affected you and where you are now uh, because of your own transition. Yeah, I mean, look, Jeanette, if you look at the statistics, it's an epidemic, not just in the United States, but globally. You know, the Gallup organization has done studies, and it's basically two in three people globally are disengaged at their job. And there's so many people, and I'm one of them, who, you know, it might have even started out that you were into your job at one point, that it did meet a need for you, and it was exciting. But, you know, what I find so often is I coach people and talk to people on my podcast, your career is a great idea until the day comes that it's no longer a great idea. <laughs> I like that. Um, because we talk about the idea of like, you know, leaving the comfort zone and, you know, we use that ad nauseum and personal development, but I think it's a constant reassessment of your comfort zone. You know, if you're still in the same comfort zone you were 10 years ago, you're not growing mm -hmm. and you're going to get bored. And you're going to feel unfulfilled. So we have this constant need to learn, to expand, challenge ourselves. But that can be difficult because 
security of a steady paycheck exists in the comfort zone. The approval of your family and friends exists in the comfort zone. The security of knowing, hey, I can perform this current job that I'm in at a really high level, and I know I'm not going to fail, that all exists in the comfort zone. But also, if you're too comfortable, is ultimately why you find yourself going through the motions and waking up. You know, I always joke about that feeling of fresh hell that mm-hmm. I felt in my corporate job. <laughs> you wake up with the best of intentions and you're ready to get to the gym and you want to work out and you want to crush the day. And then, you know, seven snooze buttons later, you're like, oh, Jesus. Okay, well, I guess I'm just going to shower and go, you know, trudge in for another day on the hamster wheel. And, you know, I spent 18 years in uh, a radio career where I worked both on the air and behind the scenes and an executive level and had a lot of cool experiences with it. But eventually it got to the day, it just got to the point where I wanted more for my life. Mm. I love it. You like there's so many things I've circled as you've been talking. And one of the things that aside from the fresh hell, I really like that and I'm going to use that in the future. Um <laughs> I circled the world word approval because it's so true. It's so true that we seek approval um and and I think in a lot of ways our jobs become our identities. And we really almost have to die to this identity or to this seeking of approval even now. So I, I've left my corporate job. I was two decades senior vice president, done extremely well. And I even feel almost a little bit apologetic as I move into my purpose work, as I start my own company um, and looking at the eyes of the people I'm leaving, like, I promise I'm making a good decision. What would you say to people who are in that kind of the, the place of indecision or the place of seeking approval or who have attached their identity to that beautiful title that they may have on their business card? Yeah, we all know what we do with our life. We all know what we do for a living because very few of us do the work to find out who we are. Hmm. And that's how we define ourselves is you meet somebody for the first time. You're like, hey, you know, what's your name? Oh, you're, you know, I'm Jeanette. I do blank, blank, blank. I'm a senior vice president of finance. Oh, I'm Dan. For years, it was, I'm an operations manager over these radio stations. It's the first thing that we usually, it's the first thing that we usually say when we meet somebody for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it could be, I'm a parent or, you know, I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom. I'm a stay-at-home dad. And those are very one-dimensional titles. You know, I love the quote from Walt Whitman. He says, we are large, we are multitudes, and there's so much more that exists underneath the job title. What I realized is, you know, my whole title of radio broadcaster didn't really encapsulate all the other cool things about me, that mm-hmm. I was a communicator, and that I really enjoyed when I worked in radio about being that one friendly voice in somebody's day when they were in the car because I had a compassion and an empathy and a desire to make a difference in the world in whatever little way I could. Uh, I was also behind the scenes as an executive. I was a leader. I was a motivator. I was somebody who could help people set goals and help them create action plans to achieve it. So all these other parts existed But when I was existing on the one-dimensional plane of, well, I play Taylor Swift songs for a living. What else could I possibly do? (laughs) I wasn't really acknowledging all the other parts of me and all those other colors 
that I could advance into my next career. And what's funny is all the same skills that made me super successful when I was on the air and I was a program director in radio were the same things that I'm doing now. You know, I work with clients to help them get clear on goals, mm. create action plans. Uh, I help people unleash their creativity. I'm creating content in a variety of different platforms. It's the same skill set. It's the same gifts that I was born with, but now I get to use them in a way that feel more like me, where I'm not beholden to some corporation that values profits and shareholder value over a sense of purpose. Mm. And for the radio industry, I think they really lost their way over the last 10 years. And it just no longer felt aligned with who I was. The industry changed, but also I had changed. You know, when I started out in the industry, I was just out of college. I was a 21-year-old kid. And then all of a sudden, I was a 38-year-old man. You know, the things that I valued evolved and changed. And it's just like a romantic relationship. I know, you know, you've shared in your book about being divorced and, and going through a breakup. And I went through it, too, that sometimes you just can grow apart from people, but you can also grow apart from your career. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. I like what you said about the comfort zones as well, because I think it's, you you know, you start in college, like you said, and all of a sudden you're a 38-year-old man. I feel like back in the day, it was typical that you started in a field and the honorable thing to do was to, to, to retire with a pension, right? You did the smart thing so yeah. that you have this kind of like bucket of money to live off of and you were a company man pat on the shoulder and we have really moved away from that as a society we have really moved to a place where especially millennials they say that they move through jobs very quickly not to i love millennials i'm not one of those people who bash millennials they just look at things differently because they have a tendency to want to have some type of purpose or attachment to the outcome or the interest um, that that spark their soul, as opposed to helping a shareholder make more money, and we're seeing more and more people move into this this place of wanting to realize their dreams and and do things within their gifts that really um, allow them. Like you said, you get to to do the things that you're really good at, but with your own rules and your own kind of framework. Um, so you do have to constantly reassess that comfort zone and look at. Um, how you can grow yourself, what would you say to people? Like, and what do you say to your, your clients as they come to you? Are you finding more and more people are coming to you, to you asking you, how do I leave my job? Or is, how do I find purpose within my job? What's your experience as you're having these conversations? Well, again, you know, if you look at the studies, I think Harvard Business Journal did a study on this. The number one thing that determines satisfaction in your career has nothing to do with your income. It has nothing to do with salary, flexible work from home schedule. It has nothing to do with 401k, you know, uh, PTO days, none of that. The number one thing that determines our long-term satisfaction in our career is having a sense of meaning. Mm -hmm. And, you know, millennials get a bad rap right now because they're all about looking for that way to make an impact. The only difference is I think everybody wants the same thing. It's just sometimes we like to judge the millennials because they're the ones bold enough to act on it. Amen. (laughs) Amen. We give them such help. This job sucks. Right. And this doesn't align with my values. Now, when we look at older generations, and I'm a Gen Xer, and if you look at baby boomers, You know, we have this generational inherited financial trauma that Mm. existed in this country 
since the Great Depression. And if you look at even what science says, like the study of epigenetics, it's not just that you got your mom's eye color and your dad's hair color. A lot of times we're inheriting the trauma of the generations before us. And the studies that I've seen say it takes usually three generations for us to work through that trauma genetically. So when you think back to the grandparents who grew up in the Great Depression, there was a serious financial scare. You know, you had to learn how to get by on one loaf of bread and a bottle of water for a week. There was no income to be made. There was no opportunity. So, yes, you know, if you were lucky enough to get a job, you stay in that job for 40 years. You retire, you collect your pension, and you take whatever security you can. And a lot of times that got passed on to our parents, and it's been passed on to us. It's what keeps people from ultimately – it's what keeps people from ultimately making that move away. But the other problem we're seeing is that the loyalty that we've had to our corporations for so many years, the corporations don't have the same level of loyalty back to their people. Oh, wow. You know, all the millennials right now that we complain about were growing up when the housing crash and the stock market crashed in 2008. And they saw their parents working 50 hours a week for these companies that just tossed them aside when they needed to save money or contribute to the bottom line. So they're like, wait, why do I want to work and kill myself for this corporation that's going to make me disposable, you know, just because they found some artificial intelligence that can do the work more efficiently? So that's, you know, the whole thing that I think is interesting about millennials. They're just the ones who are brave enough to act on it. For the rest of us, we've got to get away from the old American dream, you know, that old thought of you're a company man, you're a company woman, you know, you give the company all you have and they're going to take care of you on the back end. Because if you believe that the only way that you can generate income, that the only way you can take care of yourself or the people that you love is to make somebody else's dream happen, you're going to stay on that IV drip of corporate America the rest of your life. It's really about switching to an entrepreneurial mindset, which is why we have so many people. we got the highest number of millionaires in the history of our country right now. Highest number, and it's not like they're inheriting it. These aren't silver spoon people. Two-thirds of those new millionaires are self-made because there's people just that are now connecting to the idea of what gifts do I have? What problems can I solve? Mm, yes. And if I'm solving other, if I'm solving problems for other people, I'll always be compensated for that. That's why we like watching Shark Tank. You know, I, it's people who've figured out how to solve problems that some of us didn't even know we had. I love it. Well, squatty potty. <laughs> who knew? Who knew? I just think, I mean, I love what you said about the old American dream because I, you know, being in, in, in finance, everybody was wanting a house for a period of time when no one should have a house. <laughs> and it was like, oh, yeah. the home ownership is the American dream. And I'm like, but that's on your business card. That's your, a real estate agent and you're selling, we, we have sold this mindset that in order to be successful, you have a job, a job, a pension, 401k, and you own a home. And I don't believe any of those things are necessarily true. So I absolutely agree with what you said about kind of the passing down of the generational messaging. And, you know, that's a big part of of my book and my belief system is that we pass down this messaging. It scares me that it may take three generations, but I think we're we're heading in a really good direction as far as I can see. 
Um, but I also thought it was interesting what you said about loyalty. Because one of the things I recognized as I was leaving my career is that I was grieving, but my institution was not grieving with me. And that surprised me. That was one of those watershed moments where all of a sudden you realize how much of your identity and your ego is attached to something that cannot love you back. You, ha- you are institutionalized and you are in a space where you are blood, sweat, and tears for this corporation and they're providing you income and a lifestyle and you've attached your identity to it. But when I, I shared with them, hey, it's, this is what I'm doing, there was a couple people who were sad, but they were ready for me to leave faster than I was. And that was surprising mm. to me because as far as they were concerned, they still had business to do. They needed my assistance in transitioning clients, but... They had already kind of, I had left as far as they were concerned because they were planning for the next quarter. And that was a really, like one of those moments where I I had to kind of take a step back and go, oh, wow, this is a company. They can't love me like I love them. It's fascinating. Mm, Right. We want like the ticker tape parade thrown in our honor when we walk away or to do like a tribute, have Sarah McLaughlin come in and sing a sad song. (laughs) Hold a puppy. To the employees of our greatest moment. Right. And then we don't get that. No. Um, Yeah, the same thing for me. I worked in the same career for 18 years, you know, in the radio and music industry and had all these what I thought were great relationships and friendships with people that I worked with. And then I realized. The moment people knew I wasn't coming back, that I wasn't going to be able to uh, add their their artist songs onto my radio station's playlist, or that I wasn't going to hire them to be on air at one of my radio stations, all those relationships disappeared into the sunset. Mm. You know, out of hundreds and hundreds of relationships over the course of my career, there's maybe a half dozen people that I still talk to on a regular basis in my life. And that's very hard because you realize that, my God, so many of these relationships I built over the years that I thought were real relationships, they were transactional. It was all about what could I do for them and how could I help them advance? And to some degree, though, that's also part of what can help you heal and move forward further into your purpose. Because at the beginning, it's scary. It feels like there is a mass exodus of people in your life. You know, these people that you have seen every day for five years, 10 years, 20 years, and now they're not there. And there's also that in-between period of, okay, I'm not this, you know, in your case, I'm not this senior vice president anymore. That's no longer aligned with who I am. And I want to step here into this next vision of what I want to create for my life, but I'm not fully there yet. So now I'm just in the middle. Like, who the hell am I? Mm. <laughs> and I think that that's the part that scares people the most. It's uh, That's what that dark night of the soul is that we talk about. You know, I'm no longer this thing that no longer serves me, but I haven't become the person that I'm striving to be yet. And that's really overwhelming and scary because now I have no identity. <laughs> that's really interesting. So I... I don't know how to dress. Isn't that funny? So I have dressed in lined dresses and sharp, I call them sharp high heels, those big, you know, power high heels for years. And I recently was doing a couple of like networking lunches and I had to do a couple speeches. And I'm like, who am I? Who is this new me? Who is this identity? Um, And what does she look like and what does she wear when she's not yeah. within this old framework. So it's really interesting. And I think it's something that's fascinating for anyone who's looking at 
a career transition or, you know, and that there's these moments where you're kind of remaking yourself and getting to know yourself. And I, I think it's beautiful and, and a little bit startling. And I refer to it as being in the in-between. And I like that dark night of the soul because I think you're almost kind of dying to your old identity, leaving behind some of these impressions of yourself that really aren't true. And really kind of getting clear on what feeds your soul, how you want to do things better, and stepping into that new that new person, that new role. Yeah, and so many of us are so focused on the exterior of what our appearance is physically, what does our life look like on social media, what about the house, mm-hmm. what about the car, what about – I know that that was my thing for years. And really my whole transition started when I got divorced in 2012. And for me, like my marriage did not last very long. It was a toxic marriage. It probably never should have happened in the first place. But that was a rock bottom point in my life because nothing in my life at that point was working. My marriage had ended. It didn't work out. I wasn't fulfilled in my career. I was probably 40 pounds overweight at that point. So I didn't feel good about the way I looked. I didn't feel good about myself. And on top of it, I just didn't enjoy my life every day. So I did what most people do, right? I'm like, well, I'll just fix the exterior. Mm. And after the divorce, I went and got a personal trainer and I got really in good shape and I dropped 38 pounds in three months and it was crazy. And all of a sudden I looked better and I felt better. And then I went and created a new job because I thought if I just took a new job for bigger money, in a bigger, more prestigious radio market, that would make me fulfilled again, and that would fill the hole. And I did. I moved cross-country, changed my life in 90 days, wow. all the exterior things. And then I got to Boston and took this new job, and I'm like, oh, wait, the new car smell wore off on the new job, and I'm like, here I am again. You know, in the comparison that I use, it's like one of those HGTV fixer-upper houses, like – I took the house that was overrun with mold and should have been condemned, and I just fixed up the landscaping on the outside and said, oh, okay, here's a fresh coat of paint. We can move in. Right. But it was still a moldy house, and the mold was more about the beliefs about myself, my own lack of purpose, and what I felt was possible and really not possible for my life. You know, I thought that that was as good as it was going to get, that I was in my 30s. It was too late to reinvent. You know, it it would render my degree useless if I went and transitioned into a new career. And so I got to the new job in Boston and I stayed there for two years. And when that contract ran out is when I took another job for a bigger title and more money (laughs) in a different city. And I chased it again a third time. And within 90 days, I found myself unfulfilled, unhappy. And that was really the moment where I realized the job's not the problem. I am. Wow. That's and really powerful. I've got to figure out who I am and what's important to me. And rather than looking for a job that would give me purpose, I was sort of, I was outsourcing that responsibility, waiting for a corporation to give me purpose. Everything changed when I got clear on finding my purpose, finding what my calling was, and then creating a career that aligned with it. What did you, what did you, when you found it, you said you had this moment, right, where you realized it's me. What were Mm -hmm. those next few steps? 
that's when I hired my first life coach. Okay. And I started doing work with him. And it just became the process. Again, when you're in the trenches and you're in the weeds of your unfulfilling career, it's hard to look at your life from 30,000 feet up. Like I was saying earlier, I was literally just looking at my life going, okay, I play Justin Bieber every 15 minutes for (laughs) 15-year-old kids. How is that going to translate to another career? And I wasn't seeing the bigger picture. And once I got clear on what my purpose was and how I wanted to contribute, I could start to see things just a little differently. I knew I had some other interests. I knew that my background in college was, you know, I was a a theater minor for a period of time, and I knew I really loved writing. So I was like, I got it. I'm going to write the next great American Broadway play. (laughs) And I tried. I've got a couple (laughs) half-written scripts on my laptop, and they're terrible, like embarrassingly bad. They'll never see the light of day. But there was something even freeing in that, just allowing myself to try something and fail at it. Because the curiosity about what else could I do is what led me down the right path. Once I realized I wasn't going to be the next Arthur Miller, and I wasn't going to win a Pulitzer Prize, I started to say, well, I wonder if there's other people who are creatively stuck. I wonder if there's people in a job right now who've abandoned their creative impulses. And I went on meetup.com and I started facilitating meetings for free uh, when I lived in St. Petersburg, Florida and little coffee shops or in the park. And people from all walks of life would show up at these meetings. It would be like the 50 year old sales guy who, you know, sold pharmaceuticals for a living, but then he made all this beautiful acrylic art in his spare time, Mm -hmm. but he never took it to market because he didn't think he was good enough. And he didn't think he was a professional artist. And, I had the grandmother show up who had invented a Christmas story for her children 40 years before and always had this dream of self-publishing. It was a children's book. But she's like, well, who am I to do that? I'm not a real writer. And as I facilitated these meetings and started coaching people, all of a sudden they started to get results. Yes. The woman self-published her children's book and the man started to get his art on display. And other people started asking me, hey, would you coach me privately? And I was terrified to ask for money for it. I think I was doing it for like $25, you know, $25 a session at that point. But that's when I realized, oh, my God, I really have a gift for helping people see their blind spots and see what their limiting beliefs are. And I seem to be helping them get results and and create the outcomes that they want. So becoming a coach was actually the third iteration of what I thought my calling was. Mm -hmm. But I had to give myself permission to start with writing a really terrible first act of a play to ultimately find my way. And I think so often we get caught up in that perfectionism of, well, the plan has to be 100% clear and I have to know exactly what's going to happen and it's going to work out on my timeline and my family's not going to think I'm an idiot and I'm not going to go broke and die behind a Walmart dumpster. (laughs) And if I know all these things, then I'll take action. And the reality is it's only through taking action that you'll find the clarity that you're looking for. I, I appreciate that so much because I I think just starting and just picking at kind of the opportunities and possibilities, and I haven't shared this with anyone, but when I first decided to leave, you know, I knew that I wanted to write another book, um, but I thought I was going to re- open a yoga studio. Um, and I spent a good 12 weeks 
um, reviewing properties, going over business plans, learning everything I possibly could. And it was kind of funny because at the end of the day, I had all of the support. I had the investors. I had all of the money I needed. I had everything. And the locations kept falling out for no- nothing that had to do with me whatsoever. The locations kept falling out left and right. But in the process of me spending that 12 weeks deciding that I wanted to be an entrepreneur, it suddenly opened up the door to there are other things that I could be doing. Um and I have these gifts. I, I know how to write. I can speak. I can do all of these other things. Maybe there's something else here. And I love, um, Dan has an amazing podcast. If you haven't listened to it, um, Life Amplified, you absolutely should because you get to take your passion for helping people with your experience in broadcasting and create really great content. Yeah. So, I mean, you find these ways to marry what you're good at and and you kind of stumble over the rest. You kind of... Um, find your way through. The other thing I really feel very strongly about is that you have to spend money on yourself. So the fact that you reached Mm -hmm. out and hired a life coach, I think was huge. I have an executive coach and I've worked with a coach for quite some time. Life changing. He held my hand through the decision to leave my corporate career. He held my hand through the yoga studio. He's held my hand through every single iteration and showed me my life, like you said, from that 30,000 foot place and there are times where we'll get on the phone and he's like what do you need from me today I'm like I need you to give me the bigger perspective because there are days where we are so caught up in the little things in approval and who likes me did this go well um what do I need to do to, to make sure that my finances are in order and he is able to bring me up to that spot where I can look at my life from a, a much grander perspective and it sounds like that's what you did with those folks who were who had gifts and things that they wanted to do, but couldn't have imagined themselves from that higher perspective. Yeah. And again, not being able to recognize my ability to help people in that process. I never would have known, even though conscious, you know, I I guess consciously I was aware of it. I had been leading stabs of of, of creative types and Mm -hmm. coaching radio morning shows and helping creative types my whole career, but I could just never picture it outside of the confines of that studio and that corporate office. So it's the curiosity, though. I think eventually if you approach life with a sense of curiosity and what we all look for is certainty, that's what we operate under. I need to be certain I'm doing the right thing. You'll never know uh, until you get started. So it's really more about keeping a sense of curiosity, and ultimately that will always help you find your true calling. Talk to me about yep. the, the difference between fear and the the, the pursuit of, of curiosity. Because I, I, a lot of people, they're curious. But how do you, how do you look at fear and, and make friends with it? Because I think that's what so many people rub up against is this fear that they're not going to succeed. Well, there's a lot of people waiting until the fear goes away before they take action. And that's what keeps them stuck. I mean, you're always going to be afraid the minute you make a decision that step that pushes you out of what's comfortable. And we tend to think that it's a psychological issue, and it's probably the biggest lie that the self-development world sells people. You know, you see all the memes on Instagram, live fearlessly. Mm. I don't think that that's possible. Yeah. You know, because fear isn't a fear is not a psychological issue to overcome. It's a biological response, and we're operating with this brain that's a two million year old outdated device. It's like we're all operating, trying to operate the new iPhone on iOS one. <laughs> you know, 
the brain's never evolved beyond fight or flight. So, you know, that was really helpful back in the days when you were a caveman and you left your cave and you might be eaten by a woolly mammoth. But now we have homes and security systems, and depending on the, the state you live in, you have concealed weapons laws, and there's police and pepper spray, and, and, and there's no life-threatening fear that you and I face on a daily basis. Yeah. But the brain will invent new ones, and now it's just become, well, God, am I doing right by my family, or am I going to fail and, and embarrass myself in front of the people that I love? So fear will never go away. The idea, though, is not to live fearlessly. It's about living courageously. And courage never feels like courage in the moment. Nobody's ever done something and made a brave decision and, you know, walked in like Gaston from Beauty and the Beast with your chest puffed out. You're like, oh, I'm courageous today. Right. Courageous typically feels like, oh, crap, oh, crap, oh, crap. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. But I'm doing it anyways. <laughs> and, but it's taking the action in spite of the fear is where you build the resilience and where you build confidence. And once you take the first right step, the next steps will become clear. And then you take those and you keep going until you do get to a point where you realize fear is actually just the direction that you need to move in. You know, if there's something that's scaring you and it's not a, a mortal danger to your life, you know, I'm not telling people to go jump off the top of a New York skyscraper and say, you know, oh, just, you know, give fear the middle finger. You can survive jumping off a skyscraper. It's not that, but it's all those little things that we're afraid of, those irrational fears. Yeah, correct. Because so often we think that our dreams are stupid, that our dreams aren't valid. And what I've really come to learn on my journey is that your dreams aren't even yours. They were given to you by something else. They were given to you by whatever higher consciousness, whatever higher power you believe in. And when you look at the word desire, it actually comes from the Latin meaning of the father. So whatever that means to you, whether that's like the biblical sky god version that you believe in or whether it's the universe, that force is what gave you the desire, because on some level, I believe we were created to fulfill the desire. Mm -hmm. There's a reason I don't have a desire to be a quantum physicist. I'm terrible at science and be awful at it. But I had a calling to help people and help them solve the problem that I had to figure out, which is how do you do work that you really love and not just what made your family proud? And following that desire, I'm making more money now than I actually did in corporate, which is the crazy part of it. My biggest dream for my life when I started my business, you know, is if I could just, you know, get to even and make the same amount I did in corporate, that would be a great life. And now I'm out earning it by a lot. And I keep but hearing this story over and to, over again. Yeah. You have to make the move. Yeah. I, well, and so many people have shared with me that when they finally move into their purpose and use their gifts and what has been given them, they have more abundance and more financial security than they ever could have expected because they're relying on themselves and what has been given them by whatever higher power it is that they believe in. Financial wealth's awesome. Like it's great to have financial security, but there's a lot of people right now, and maybe some of them are listening to this podcast who have everything that they wanted financially all the things that we're conditioned from an early age will make us happy. You got the house, 
maybe you bought the Tesla, you're taking the, the cruises around the world, you're, you're, you're doing all that stuff, but you don't feel emotionally wealthy. Mm-hmm. And that's the balance is you can have emotional wealth and financial wealth. And the sweet spot to create that is figuring out what your calling is and aligning with it. I love it. Emotional wealth is so important. So important. With that said, I want to ask you for your wealth, your gold, your nuggets of inspiration, things that if you could share with anyone, um, could speak to anyone directly based on your life experience, what gold nuggets do you have for our listeners? I would say this. There's nothing wrong with you for wanting to transition and wanting to get to a new level. There's nothing wrong with you for wanting more. And there was a time in my life where I was making six figures and I was getting to do cool things. I went to a party at Taylor Swift's house in New York. You know, my old career afforded me the chance to do cool things, but yet I didn't feel fulfilled by any of it. And I thought I was a selfish jerk for wanting more. You know, I looked at my house and I looked at the car I was driving and the clothes I was able to wear. I'm like, who am I not to be grateful for this? I'm the problem. And the reality is, is none of that was true. None of the self-judgment was true. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not broken. You were just raised to want a life that doesn't feel good to you anymore. And on some level, you've probably been focused on what you could get from the world and what you could accumulate in terms of wealth, status, social media likes. We all do it to some extent. But the transition, the shift for you is focusing on what you can give and what are the gifts that you have within you that can add value to the lives of other people. And when you're truly showing up from a place of service and adding value, the finances will take care of themselves. Mm. And the same way that you pay your accountant or your housekeeper or your gardener or whoever it is, because they do something that adds value to your life, people will pay you when you're adding value to theirs. So show up with a service mindset. Know that you're not broken and have trust that those desires were given to you by the universe because on some level it created you to fulfill those desires. Mm, I love it. It's beautiful. Thank you, Dan, for sharing your wisdom and your thoughts and some of your stats. I'm such a stats person and I love that you had some data also to share, some heart, some gold, and I really appreciate you and, and what you do for others. Uh, It was such a pleasure to be here and back at you. I'm just so inspired by what you're doing right now and walking away from an amazing career and and your own service mindset and you even just doing things like launching this podcast and the impact that you're going to make. So it's awesome to be part of it and I'm cheering you on. Yay. Thanks so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for joining me today. I love the way Dan pulls together research and soul. It is so important that we understand why we are chasing money over dreams, whether that is a passed down generational message or if it is time to lean into that secret passion. If you want some help moving towards that intentional life, join me every week on my intention journey. I'm inviting you totally free from my heart to your inbox. 
Sign up for my love notes at JeanetteSchneider.com, and before you even wake up on Monday mornings, there will be a huge dose of motivation waiting for you. Yes, I will wake you up on Monday morning with intention-setting prompts and give you some tips as to what is setting my soul on fire. On Fridays, I'm going to remind you to let go, recharge, and love yourself up with some self-care prompts to get present in your downtime. Intentional living is where it's at, y'all. As always, please subscribe to this podcast, leave a review, and don't forget to share with your friends. I'm always interested in content that uplifts, so if you have things you'd like to hear about, please share them with me in the comments. You can also find me on Instagram at at msjeanetteschneider or Twitter at msjwrites. If you'd like to get deep in the work with me, pick up my book, Lore, Harnessing Your Past to Create Your Future, now available on Amazon and barnesandnoble.com. Until next time, in the words of my grandma, love each other every day.